CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hour number two is brought to you in part by the Chicago Federation of Labor, SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Uh, way back when, when he had a show on public access TV, I used to be his guest, and now Ken Davis is my guest. Uh, and I can't see him on the screen that I have. It's just like a black square that says Ken Davis. So it's a matter of faith on my part that he is actually there, D. So let's see. Yeah. Ken Davis, are you there? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's all. I don't have to see you. By the way, welcome, just, to, welcome to our guest's world, by more. the way, for the last eight months, not being able to see you. <laughs> yes, but uh, turn the camera on. Sure, let's get let's let everybody see what you look like. I don't know how to do it. I, oh, okay, well, don't do any, don't push any buttons. Okay, <laughs> don't, don't touch anything. Don't. It'll just the whole thing will collapse. I'm a typical baby boomer. You push any button. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Ken Davis was the host of the Ken Davis show, although it really wasn't called the Ken Davis show by anybody other than me. And it, uh, what's that? Yes, it's true. That was true. Uh, yes, it was called something else. I can't remember the name of what it was called because I always called it the Ken Davis show. And now Chicago I just put, newsroom. But thank you, Chicago newsroom. Uh, camera, I'd show you my mug right here, but. Oh, don't, don't, don't push a button. Don't do anything <laughs> that might disturb this and shut this down. All right, plenty of things that you want to talk about. I dutifully uh, wrote them all down, uh, Ken, and we'll, I, I don't know if we'll get to any of them. Uh, we have a tendency, <laughs> you and two old friends, uh, to go on tangents. But obviously at the top of your list of the inauguration, uh, Joe Biden saying there's going to be a new age uh, in American politics. And it's, it's really interesting, uh, Ken, I've noticed that um, uh, that's being used already. It's like weaponized against Joe Biden and the Democrats as though when he talks about unity, somehow or other, he's violating that pledge. If he does anything that is that goes against what Republicans want him to do, I don't think that's quite what he had in mind. And it's interesting to see how the word unity has just become this like this epithet. Right. I mean, it's just whenever you see, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell talking about unity, unity, it's like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. (laughs) This is not going to end well. And, you know, it's yeah. Anyway, listen. You know, I just before we came on, I just had the TV on just to see so I could be up to the moment. And just about two minutes ago, um, Biden just signed uh, in, enabling um, directives that will start the whole process going on redoing the uh, the the uh, coronavirus programs and everything. So he's he's going ahead. He's steaming ahead and getting a lot of stuff started. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how the reaction to that is. But I just thought that it's, you know, something is going on right now. There's a I am just so kind of stoked when I see these visuals of Anthony Fauci standing next to the president with a Zoom wall of all of these people around the country. And and he's just they've just signed back on to the CDC and and they're they're putting science back into the equation and it just makes me feel all kind of warm all over i have to say i i i know how naive this is i realize how idiotic what i'm about to say is but i sat just glued to the tv all day yesterday and by the end of the day with the fireworks over the washington monument and everything i was just like a, i was just like a lump i was just sitting there like almost like sobbing <laughs> and yeah. I, I have not felt that way in a very very long time so 
be gentle with me then because I'm in a delicate mood. All right. You're very vulnerable. And I understand. Vulnerable. Uh, and let me just say this. I, uh, I began the show by it confessing how much of, of yesterday's uh, festivities I watched, including the uh, inauguration party, which uh, was hosted by Tom Hanks. And I think we'll both agree, Ken, let's just be very honest. That was pure propaganda. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. Wait, I mean, what do you think? It would. Who paid the bill? Yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's start with that. But I, you know, um, I have so many. I have so many reactions to it. First of all, the the meanest, the meaner side of me says the best part about this is that Donald J. Trump has been denied all the stars he craved in his whole four years. I mean, do you think what what would he have given to have had, you know, Lady Gaga or J-Lo performing something for him, right? Yeah. Or, or how about, you know, Tom Hanks and that whole John Legend thing with the piano by the, you know, serenading Lincoln and everything. Oh my God, it was really beautiful. Katy Perry with the firework number. I mean, Trump was, I know Trump was down in the basement at Mar-a-Lago in some, <laughs> in, like in a wine cellar somewhere, watching that quietly and just sobbing and saying, why would these SOBs do this for me? I was a better president than than Sleepy Joe, yeah, but yeah. it didn't work out for him. No, I, I agree with you that he's upset. I don't know if he's a sobber. I don't know what he's doing. He's probably throwing things. I don't throwing, think it was a, yeah, throwing expensive bottles of wine around. But your point's well taken. And let me just tip my hat um, to all uh, the celebrities, immensely talented performers, singers uh, who, who showed up. Justin Timberlake was there as well. You know, just a whole list of them uh, who sh showed up. John Lennon singing Nina Simone. It was just a great moment. Um, but you're right. John Legend. John Legend, yeah. And <laughs> if John Lennon was there. Maybe. Oh, did I say John Lennon? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's my baby boomer coming out. <laughs> he brought back the dead. Right. That's how great this new president is. Joe Biden can do amazing things. Next up, Groucho Marx. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, John Legend singing uh, Nina Simone. So, but they what they did... You know, they just deny. This is your point. This is your point. They denied uh, their availability to Trump, mm -hmm. and in that in that way, it was a form of resistance. Because I think, uh, Kim, when I talk about propaganda, when uh, a star that you really appreciate, you know, a performer that you really you you love, you pay money to go see, uh, you think they're really cool, shows up and sings on behalf of a particular politician. You know, that's like the best, that's like the best marketing that politician can have in many yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. And they denied that mm -hmm. to Donald Trump. That was, yeah, a, they withheld it. Yeah, they withheld it. They withheld it. And so that was a stand they took, you know, like the bar's low. I mean, I didn't ask them to, uh, to be like Jane Fonda and show up, what is it, every Monday or whatever to protest. Uh, but it made me remember that uh, the, the night of his inaugural, do you remember this, that they did, they, they tried to do some kind of big star studded thing and they couldn't get any celebrities to do it. Do you remember? I mean, they had some like second or third rate country stars or something. I don't remember, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this. <laughs> and I think that, I think that these, these celebrity types were, I'm guessing that they were just absolutely ready to jump all over the yes. place to do this because it wasn't even, well, I mean, yes, and yes, they wanted to help heal the country and all this, that, and the other, but the real thing they wanted to do was to give the finger to Donald J. Trump. Yes. And I think and I they got their chance. Yeah, they got their chance. I think they learned a lesson. Uh, when uh, Jimmy Fallon, in the 2006, I don't know if you remember this, but he had Trump on his show, oh, and yeah. he patted Trump on the head, and yeah. the joke was, is the hair real? Yeah. And it just... I mean, so many people were offended by that. He'll never recover from that. It'll be with him forever. Yeah, and you know what's bizarre, Ken? Just think about this. And we'll get into this a little deeper. Donald Trump got more votes than any other losing candidate in the history of American politics. Yeah. And, we, and I talk a lot in the show about um, the allegiance of MAGA to Donald Trump. We're going to get into that. I know you have some thoughts on that, mm -hmm. whether that will fade. But... Like the Jimmy Fallons of the world quickly realized that there was nothing to help them in their careers by trying to win over MAGA. Yeah. They completely went the other direction. 
It was like they learned. It just it, it's so offensive to like the core belief that the ideal we have about our country that we we preach tolerance we may not practice it but we believe in it yeah, yeah. Uh, and donald trump is so offensive that even if close to 50 percent of the public favors him you can't go there yeah that's right you can't well you know i um on the way to you know this this morning just going through a few things um, looking around, and I, I ran across this article that I'd completely forgotten about. Do you remember when Alex Azar was in, in charge of DHHS? He spent $265 million on that PSA program on yes. coronavirus. Yes. And as a part of that, he vetted, he had his staff vet 274 celebrities before they chose a couple of them, whoever it was that they I don't even know who ended up doing it. But 274 celebrities, they kind of did a dossier on them on how close they how closely they comported with Donald Trump's agenda. Yeah. And if he didn't if he didn't clearly support Trump, then they wouldn't get the contract. Not that I'm sure most of them wanted it anyway. But I mean it just it that's the that's the depth to which he was he needed to go to get that kind of affirmation. But yeah. you know what? We're spending too much time talking about, what was that guy's name again? The former president? Oh, yeah, DJT. Uh, I think the one guy they did get, by the way, for some reason it popped into my head, Dennis Quaid, the actor. I yeah. think he, he was the guy who agreed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but actually, I do not think we're done talking about Trump because Trumpism is still very much alive. But before we get to that, the thing about science, this relates to it. You said it was a great day for science uh, when you um, saw uh, the scientists surrounding Biden and that Biden uh, was going to officially acknowledge that something like wearing a mask is a good idea in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, even if in the city of Chicago, they decided it's a really good idea to open the public schools in the middle of a pandemic. We'll get into all that. Uh, do you think it's too late, Ken? Literally, like I said, half the country voted for Donald Trump. And in his last, what, three weeks, it was like Donald Trump came to the conclusion, I got COVID. I survived it. I probably won't get it again. So who cares about anyone else? And it was like they, he didn't even make a pretense, Ken, of like needing the preaching that you need to wear a mask. Like, yeah. It, it was out the window. I'm not sure that he just ever believed that it was necessary to wear a mask. I mean, I, you know, I, I have spent so much time trying to figure that out, how how it became this political divide. I mean, it's it's easy to understand how we have a political divide on, you know, some, pol you know, clearly racial issues or whatever else it is. But this is one that just absolutely baffles me. And it just gets it just gets more and more entrenched every day. It gets deeper and deeper every day. So I just watched also while I was watching TV. So you didn't have to this morning. Um, Biden did a really kind of heartfelt thing about wearing masks. Now, I don't think it I don't think it changed one person's heart. But uh, I mean, he just said, you know, look, look, folks, you know, look, folks, um, this is something that we have to do for everybody else. It's not just I'm not asking you to wear this for yourself. I'm asking you to do this for everybody around you. And if we all do it for just a couple of months, we'll we'll kill this thing, folks. We really will. And, and you know, he has that sincerity about him when he does this like he really means it and really wants to do it i just don't really think it's going to have much effect but i'd rather have a president saying that than what you were just describing about the other guy so um maybe maybe it'll work and and there's one other kind of tangential thing about that which is that with these with these new strains that that we just really don't understand much about but the one thing we do understand is that they're virulent and they will probably um regenerate other strains like it it's entirely possible that we could start the argument there you know like okay all right whatever it was the old covid we got new covid now so will you will you at least give us a shot with this? Give us a month, you know, just do a month for us to see what we can do. I don't know. I I I I I don't know how to I don't know how to address that guy who you see walking down the street who's 
clearly not wearing a mask for political reasons. I don't know what you can do about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I was going to hold off on a local news until the end after we do all national news. But what I'll do is jump back and forth because this is just an um, invitation to get Your you boss. to put your... Uh, yeah, I'm the, <laughs> I get to be the boss of the Ben Jarofsky show. As a um, city worker, whatever you say, boss. <laughs> so, everything you, that was a great riff you just went on about uh, the dangers of the new strains, the uh, the, the unknowns that exist. Uh, there was a, while we were at break before you came on, uh, across my little uh, telephone, it's this headline uh, for the Washington Post over, Biden said over 500,000 people will have died from COVID before all is said and done. And well, in that's, the middle, only, that's only about 80,000 more, right? Yes, that's correct. Which, which means very much, uh, we're not out of the woods. And yet, there's this full court press to open the Chicago public schools. Mm-hmm. And I've been struggling with this, Ken. I know a lot of teachers. I know you do. You probably have a lot of teacher friends who are teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Who are very scared about going into a classroom. Legitimate fears, mm-hmm. having scrupulously followed all the news coverage of the uh, pandemic, having dutifully worn their masks, being good Democrats, listening to all the messages that get put out. Uh, now they're being told, go back to school. I'm really struggling with this. How do you deal with that? How do you reconcile? You're a person who reads a lot about science, uh, studies these things closely, and understands politics as well. How do you deal with this? This is clearly a mixed message being well, beamed out. Go ahead. Yes, I know you, you specialize in the study of mixed messages, <laughs> the Ben Jarowski Institute for Mixed Messages. And and this is this is one of those. And I got to tell you, it's just tearing me apart. It really is. I, I this is another one of these horrible things where I can really kind of, I don't want to say see both sides, but I can, but I really can understand the. Uh, let me put it this way: I'd hate to be Janice Jackson with the with the kind of pressures that she's getting from all around. And you know, um, um, Troy Laravie had something said something really interesting on your show whenever it was a couple of days ago, a week ago, when he was on, that, that of, the, of the schools that are, that really drove this in-person learning thing, such a huge number of them were white parents, well-off parents in, you know, the high-level schools. And I'm sure some of that has to do with you got two kids in school and you got two parents who are working from home, probably they're higher level, you know, people they don't, they're not the people who have to go work at the supermarket, you know, they're the people who stay home and work on their computer all day. So you could have maybe up to four people online in that house all day long driving each other nuts and they want something to change. They want their kids to go back to school. It's a very different kind of an environment than most other people in the city are having in their households. But at the same time, I can also see, I could also imagine that two-parent household where, you know, one of them works at Mariano's and the other one works for the city or something. And they also don't know what to do about their kids. They, they, can't, they can't work their lives around these kids and they wanna get them back into school. And then you get to the science part of it. There is an undeniable strain of science that seems to be showing us that well-run schools, if, they're, if, they, if they have the right PPE and the right ventilation and everything else, they're not super spreaders they don't they don't seem to be something that we have to fear we can put kids safely back into well-run classes with with appropriate safeguards we can probably do it but having said all that you know the first teacher vaccines are coming in well who knows we don't know exactly but probably within a matter of a few days or a week or two right so we could say how about we say Let's wait until every teacher in the system is either vaccinated twice or they don't have it because they don't want to, in which case, frankly, screw them. Um, And that's it. That's when we go back into school. Because I, I, you know, but I don't know. And, And what it comes down to, Ben, and I just it's like I've been waiting for a long time to talk to you about this, because in some ways you're my. You're my counselor. You you help me get through these difficult days. It's like, what is it about 
What is it about this dynamic that the mayor and the leaders of the school board just have to fight all the time? I mean, I just, there. both of them have very good points to make. I'm, I'm on both their sides in many ways. I want the schools to get opened up as quickly as they possibly can. I mean, I, that's a that's a cliche. Everyone who doesn't yeah. want them to be. But I mean, I want them, I actively want to see even if it has to be done on some kind of voluntary system where the local school board or the principal and the parents get together and decide, okay, we're opening our school. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not smart enough to come up with the, with the exact plan to do it. But what I do know is that it just, it's too easy for these two iconic leaders to just smash heads with each other all the time and I'm tired of it. I'm really tired of it. I want to see I want to see smart people and I think these are smart people. I want to see smart people finding ways around this problem, not bashing each other over. Well, that would be a strike. Oh no, it wouldn't be a strike. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Uh, that was this quite... is somebody who has a great deal of, of respect for for Stacey Davis Gates and, and for CTU. God, when I was doing my show, these were people that I, I enjoyed having on the air. I thought they were really good, smart people. I have a lot of respect for Lori Lightfoot, but I just don't understand why this has had to come down to this level of almost childish bickering. And I wanna see something, I wanna see a more mature solution. Uh, by the way, just to point out the historical accuracy of what Ken is saying, his very first show, the very first Ken Davis show. Uh, 31 years ago, 1976. Yeah, featured Eric Zorn, who yes, kind of was representing, you know, like the moderate wing in Chicago. <laughs> uh, me, who was yeah, representing the radical lunatics on the fringe. Uh-huh. Uh, and Karen Lewis. Representing the right wing. Yeah, no, Karen <laughs> was just, I, well, I don't know, what made you think, like, of that three, that trio, uh, but that was the very first show that you had. I was putting the first show together, and honest to God, these were the three people I thought, God, I'd love to have all those people on the show. Let's see if we can get them all at once, and we did. You got us all on, yeah, and uh, so that just uh, underscores the point you're making, that uh, you've always reached out to the Chicago teachers, and you're not a knee-jerk uh, hostile to them. And uh uh, listen, it's so funny because we spend so much time talking about unity. Can't we get all? Can't we get along uh, in terms of uh, Washington? And there's legitimate divisions in the worldview between Republicans and Democrats. And so you're, I, I view it, uh, Ken, more and more when they talk about when Republicans talk about unity, they're using it as a weapon to try to club Democrats into. Oh, absolutely. Doing things that they, the Republicans, want and that Repub- Democrats didn't get elected to do. So it's a sneaky thing. But you would think you're absolutely correct that the leader of the Chicago Teachers Union and the mayor of the city of Chicago would have more in common with one another because they're both Democrats from Chicago. Now, one is a centrist Democrat, and the leaders of the uh, Democrat, the Chicago Teachers Union are both more... Have children in the schools? Yes. Well, uh... Who who has children children in the schools? Doesn't, doesn't uh, Lori Lightfoot have? Doesn't she have a daughter? In the, in I do not believe she's at the Chicago Public Schools. Oh, uh, my, I, I, my I, mistake. I thought she was. I'm yeah, sorry. I actually do not know the answer to that. And um, uh, but uh, so, but there's just a divide. Yeah. And if so, like let's just let's let's imagine in a million years, which I, I can't see it happening. Uh, because I don't know if you heard this on our breaking news. Uh, after the teachers voted last night with the resolution that mm-hmm. uh, that they may lead to, uh, a, I don't want to call it a strike because it's like lawyers are both sides. Not technically right. a strike, whatever. Uh, and uh, Lori Lightfoot, here's a, here's a moment of compassion, responded by having the HR guy from CPS come out and explain how they're all going to get fired or docked or whatever. So, okay, when you've got your HR guy coming out, Ken, it's already not a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do not know why... Uh, Lori Life would not just meet with Jesse Sherkey or Stacey Davis Gates, but I do know this. If she were to follow your advice and come out with a policy that says, uh, we will reopen the schools as soon as our teachers have been vaccinated, 
all right, which could be within a month. So Twice. just, what's that? Twice, and if, if I guess we're going to be getting Pfizer, so yeah, right. Okay. So twice, correct, twice. Um, so vaccinated twice. So she would immediately be criticized by so many of the editorial voices in this town and the civic community in this town for giving into the teachers union. Do you see how the do you see how it's viewed, Ken? She'd be immediately there'd be like the storyline, she gave in, they beat her again, they're all powerful. They run this city. So this is part of the rhetoric that keeps our leaders from acting wisely. Your thoughts? Quite well taken, actually. I mean, I, I that thought has definitely occurred to me, although, I, you know, maybe I've just been I am I am so full of Joe Biden Kool-Aid right now. It's like it's <laughs> oozing out of my pores. So you'll have to just excuse me. I am I'm completely poisoned. I'll get over it soon. But, you know, my attitude about that is, well, then, you know, that's what leadership is, right? Leadership is doing things that are really difficult and you're going to get beat up for. And, you know, I think I once heard Lori Lightfoot say, I don't, I can't absolutely give you a, a citation on this, but I believe she once said, I don't care if I'm a one-term mayor, I, I'm coming to get tough things done and that and that's the way it's going to be of course everybody says that and then on the second day in office they say wow i like this riding around town in this limo man this is i think i could i want to beat daily's record i want to do 30 years so you know i'm sure that's what's happening and she's already in the middle of that but still you know that's what i expect my leaders to do is to is to take very difficult stances and she could I think she has the moral standing to stand up to the parents and say, look, this isn't the thing we <laughs> see my Joe Biden. Look, folks, look. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, this isn't the this isn't the answer any of us wanted, but it is an answer. Yeah. And it is a, it is a date certain. And and the teachers are going to have to give something up, too, because they're going to, there are going to be many teachers who are going to say, I don't want to go back there until you've shown me that the EPA has been in and, you know, scrubbed every square inch of the walls and they've given an A3 rating and all that. No, you're not going to get that because life is uncertain. And if, if you worked at Jewel, you wouldn't have that either. So, you know, I, 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 it's just I just want somebody to move off center and, and just start leading instead of bitching and whining. I'm, All right. I'm really tired of it. All right, let's uh, go back to the national. because uh, Does that you, offend you? No. Oh. I, I actually agree. I've, I, um, I believe that in this particular case, Lori Lightfoot uh, and Stacey Davis-Gates and Jesse Sharkey are locked in uh, yes. to a, uh, a fight that uh, is left over from 2019. Absolutely. Mo mostly I blame Lori Lightfoot. I have to blame anyone because she, I, I, she was there at the hideout. You might have been in the audience. Yeah, I was. And she said, I'll put this behind because mm -hmm. the question was asked to her. They're, they're coming at you hard. Would you, but by the way, that, I, I've always felt that was really unwise political uh, maneuver by my beloved left in Chicago. It comes hard, so hard at Lori Lightfoot. I didn't think Tony Perkwinkle was going to win. Why are you investing so much into uh, in this fight against uh, Lori Lightfoot? Anyway, they didn't listen to me. So, uh, But Lori Lightfoot insisted that she would be bigger than that, bigger than the fight. Mm -hmm. And she's never reached the olive branch out. Uh, she's right. never, it's just, she's got this grudge and it's just solidifying. Uh, I don't know quite how to explain it. Uh, you know, it wasn't I, the case. It's really, I'll just say one more thing on this because I know we both want to move away from this, this but you know, I was, th I was thinking about this this morning and I was remembering that you you would remember the date, but the legendary moment at the auditorium theater filled with the red T-shirts and everybody spills out onto Michigan Avenue. And for an afternoon, the whole downtown is a sea of red shirts. And and there it was this iconic moment for the union. And they they had everybody in the palm of their hands and they won. I mean, they just won flat out. And, and it was it, it was a beautiful thing to see. I think there are elements in the CTU who still think that it's those days, and it's not. 
we're we're in a different we're in a different world now, and things are there. The issues are different. I mean, there's some of the, the central issues will always be the same, but the fight is different, and the enemy is different, and it just. I don't know. It requires some. It requires some uh, flexibility, and some agility. And I'm not seeing it on either side. I'm just yeah. I'm hardening more and more. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Move on on that for that one. Uh, but I just want to. I just cannot let it pass. Not everybody was cheering on that cigarette. A lot of oh, people no, no, were no. posing. No. I, th- I always joke about the number of aldermen on the stage. I think there was like three of them. <laughs> the rest of them were totally in Rom's corner. Uh, all right, uh, you said I something. I was just talking about general public reaction. The general public, general public yeah. Reaction was very positive. All right, uh, let's go. Uh, let's go back to something you said about Donald Trump. And um, Donald Trump kicked off Twitter. It uh, may uh, lead to what his fade away. Well, Do you actually I, believe you know, that? I, I'm not. They're kind of unrelated in a way. But let, let me just take the second one first. I have been engaged in a debate with a bunch of my friends about what's the future for DJT? What, where, where will we be vis-a-vis DJT a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? And I have always been in this, I've been in this camp that, you know, he will, he'll control the Republican party all through the next four years. He'll determine who the next candidate is for president, whether it's him or someone else. Uh, no one will be able to do anything unless they unless they wave it past him first, uh, you know, R- Richard J. Daly style. And you know what? When I saw him getting on that plane yesterday and when I saw the picture of him and his lovely wife in her or whatever that thing is she was wearing when she got off, ready to go and uh, settle in for an afternoon of golf and Mai Tais. You know, I started thinking, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that uh, there are reports in the New York Times today, they've they've got all these wonderful stories about all all the people in Mar-a-Lago who are just up in arms about the fact that he's living there because it's going to drag their property values down and all the rest of it. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be any of those things. I think he's going to, well, I shouldn't say I do that. I do think I am moving toward, my, my opinion is changing to the point where I think that we may actually see him just sort of dissolve into uh, a, a mush of irrelevance. Well, the first step, if what you're uh, thinking is going to be true, will be the vote on impeachment. Because that will be uh, an official break mm-hmm. yeah. uh, by if, if it's going to if he's going to be convicted, mm-hmm. uh, 17 Republicans have to join the Democrats. First of all, all the Democrats have to vote for it. Right. Or, uh, or if the other Republicans just stay away. Oh, is that how? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Kenny D with the math. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that, that a lot of Republicans could they, they have this really wonderful alternative where they can just not show up. OK. All right. Fair enough. That's the old the equivalent of the present vote uh, in Springfield. Yeah. Uh, it's, but it would amount to the same thing. Yeah. If you don't show up, which what a wimp, by the way. <laughs> you can't even find the guts to yeah. go after what, out of office. What a wimp. Who will believe that? I mean, that is like... Oh, I would that, <laughs> but Ken, that shows such a low opinion of the voter. Right. I think the voter is so stupid right. that uh, I could somehow or other turn not showing up to vote on the most important vote I have uh, <laughs> regarding the Trump legacy as an act of courage. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, God. Well, you know, God help you with the voters. All right. Be it, be it enemy. You either got to get them to vote no or not to show <laughs> up. Okay. Either way, it's a challenge. And it's going to be viewed as anti Trump. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I went down the, I just went down the hall to get a hot dog i come back and <laughs> <laughs> no that that reminds me oh my god everything reminds me of a tiff story so uh <laughs> there was a vote in the county board on tiffs years and years ago and it's past the hour i challenge you i got him 39 minutes into the hour let's see how you can do it. yeah a tiff story <laughs> 
So they, uh, they, it was the Cook County Board. It doesn't even matter what the issue was. It was anti-TIF matter put up by Mike Quigley when he was on the county board. Uh, and, of course, Mayor Daly sent in his emissaries, his aldermen, don't do this. This will be a disaster. Don't pass this. And so all the county board commissioners were running away. Uh, but supposedly Claypool, Forrest Claypool, and um, uh, Tony Parika were going to join Quigley. And somehow or other, when that vote came, neither of them were on the floor. <laughs> and when you said that thing about the hot dog, oh, God, what a bad timing. I got a phone call from my friend, and I had to take it out in the hallway. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so um, great profiles and courage. We're going to just have a new chapter in it for all the uh, congressmen who are uh, the senators who don't vote. Um, but uh, anyway, that that will be uh, a decisive vote is my point. To, yes. That will be the Republicans, if they vote to convict Trump, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. essentially, whether by showing up or actually voting, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, not showing up or actually voting. If they do that, then that's their way of saying their future, uh, as perilous as it may be, um, is more secure if they cut the cord with Trump right now, mm-hmm. to your point. Yeah, yeah. I'm not ready to say, Ken, that that's going to happen. Well, I mean, do you, I've been wanting all day to ask you this question. Do you foresee a point two, three years down the road where Donald Trump is a kind of a kingmaker in the Republican Party? Do you think that's possible? If if he gets back on Twitter, and that's why I think Twitter is key. I think that without, Twitter was just direct communication. His, uh, no one was in between him and his supporters. He said whatever he wanted. That's what they loved. Him. But I think the people, I think that Donald Trump's Twitter persona was beloved by far more people than would ever admit it. You know, you know the that, followers he had when they when they deplatformed him? 80 million, I want to say. 8 million. 80. And only 72 million voted for yeah. him, for God's sake. So those others were people like us who were just following him just to see what he was doing. Well, I didn't follow him. I don't look at Twitter, but uh, I, um, I must admit, he was the most entertaining president. Mm-hmm. And he's a reality TV star, and he mm-hmm. turned it into a reality TV show, and people loved it, yep. the show. And uh, so when they cut him off Twitter, they they cut off his contact. Yeah. And so, like, so if you just imagine what he'd been tweeting yesterday, had he been oh, on the, Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? Just imagine the, the scene of him watching... Uh, you know, the uh, John Legend uh, seeing Nina Simone. Imagine him having to be able to, uh, Justin Timberlake, uh, you know, he would be insulting them and saying they were no talent and then yeah. all the, you know, and he would be, I don't know, it, uh, you know, he would be calling them traitors or what have you. So uh, I think that's, I actually do believe that kicking well, him off of Twitter is important. You, you have made a, you've made a very, very good point there because. Um, I don't know, one of these online monitoring services, I don't know how they came up with this exact number, but they said that online misinformation about election fraud, just the the topic of election fraud, dropped 73% the day after Trump was taken off of Twitter. Because it's not only, and this is, they, they claim this is like across all, uh, all, all of the online uh, frameworks. And the reason for that is because it's not just what Trump tweets, but he's got 88 million followers and 10 or 15 million at any given time will retweet Mm. what he said. So, I mean, look, we've got to face up to something here. In the history of communications, there's never been anybody who is more adept at using mass communication than this dude. I mean, from, you know, from The Apprentice, 17 seasons, 15 of them at the top of the Arbitrons or the, the, the uh, Nielsens. This is a guy who knew how to talk exactly right into the whatever organ it is, <laughs> some organ somewhere in the body of all these people. And he wrote that all the way to the top of to the top of the world. Yeah. So, yes, you're right about that, but I don't know. I mean, it's like the, there are other things about this, too, though, because his, his the, there are other ramifications of this. His being taken off of Twitter 
has kind of collapsed QAnon in a lot of ways, too. I've seen several stories today and in the last couple of days about how QAnon has kind of fallen into this, everybody pointing at each other and blaming themselves for what happened with Trump. And and uh, Proud Boys, there are all these, there are all these uh, um, posts from Proud Boys saying that he's an extremely weak leader and that they've lost their faith in him and they're gonna have to look for a new leader. So, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, emphasizing my own point about his dissolution, but also completely agreeing with you that the, 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 the blood of life for him is Twitter. And what I'm reading is that he's going to get it back next week. Oh, really? Yeah. Already? Well, yeah, but, you know, it's really interesting, Ben, what, what happened there. And I didn't, I didn't realize, realize this at the time, but when, when Trump came into office, Obama had the POTUS Twitter handle, right? Yeah. And what they did was they just simply turned it over to Trump's office to take over, and they didn't do anything with all the followers who were on it. So Trump inherited all of Obama's followers, who I'm sure were gone within a couple of weeks, or, you know, they were inert and it didn't really matter. But this time, Twitter changed their policy in 2017. They, they announced this a couple of years ago. But what they did this time is that they archived the entire Trump POTUS feed into POTUS, what is he, 45, is he? Yeah. Or, so, so that handle is now POTUS 44, or whatever his number is. Five. Uh, POTUS 45. And all that stuff is there, but it's an inactive archive. And the handle went to Biden. And what they did was they took all of the people who had been following at Joe Biden and put that into the POTUS feed. So he's got like about a million followers. So he's gone from that POTUS has gone from 88 million to 1 million. But I think Twitter did that because they didn't want the chaos of 80 million people retweeting back to Biden every time he tried to tweet something. You're an idiot. So, <laughs> you know, what this, what this gets at for me, Ben, and as two old media guys, I, I just I I'm eating this with a spoon. I just can't I can't get enough of this story about the the power that a few of these executives have and and i'd have to say that jack dorsey at twitter did the world a great favor by by deplatforming trump but it does raise all of these incredible questions about who gets to decide this is it this one guy who run, who basically owns and runs this company doesn't own it but almost owns it founded it do you really want a world where one or two people like that can make these decisions? And it's it's kind of the same thing that we're seeing with Amazon, right? I mean, you know, just when you get one mega company that is clearly run and operated by one person. I went back this morning and started rereading an old book that I had read in the 80s. I did something on the radio show about it. It's called Empire of the Air. And it's about the, the origins of radio, starting with... Uh, radio telephone and uh, radio telegraphy and all that and how these three guys you know DeForest and and uh, um, Sarnoff how they together built the radio industry and they just owned it they made all the decisions about what was on the radio for 15 or 20 years until finally the government stepped in and broke up the NBC uh, operation into the Red and Blue Network, and that became ABC, and then suddenly there were three radio networks, and then it kind of, the whole thing lost steam because the attention started turning to TV, and all three of these networks got TV networks and so on and so forth. But it's the same kind of thing that we're seeing today. There's this new medium. It is all-powerful, and it's run by just a couple of people. And on a day like today, I'm kind of glad of it because yeah, Jack Dorsey did a real favor yes, to the world, but I don't like it. I don't like the fact that he has that power to do that. No, I don't like uh, the abuse either. So it's right, got to be right. somewhere in the middle. Right. And yeah. I, I will say this. Uh, one of the uh, that was a great riff, by the way. I got to give you credit for that. Uh, tying uh, ancient radio history in with uh, uh, social media. Well, but, radio you know, uh, one of the things that Donald Trump did 
uh, he actually vetoed uh, the, the defense bill uh, because he he felt as though uh, he he would say that he wanted the uh, protection right. that Twitter and Facebook have against uh, libel lawsuits to be eradicated. Right, which is such a complete joke, mm-hmm. because it, it's it's that protection that Twitter and Facebook have that enables people like Donald Trump to get on and say anything they want to say about anybody. Right, right. and you take that away. Mm-hmm. You take that protection away and you make it a real free market where you are accountable for what you do. Mm-hmm. Twitter and not only are Twitter and Facebook, uh, they have to hire people to police the stupid stuff that folks put on their platform. Mm-hmm. But guys like Donald Trump can't manipulate it right. the way they did. Right. So he was playing it both sides the whole time. Ken. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, this is the way it is right now was so perfect for him. It was set up for him. Yeah, and he took advantage of every dollop of it. Uh, and you know, that's that's. Well, here's the deal. You know how, like, when you some hacker uh, gets caught hacking into somebody i don't know to uh the defense department i don't know they you know every now and then there's a, a hacker is caught uh it's usually like some genius kid who's figured out how to and and part of the penalty is that the judge says you can't hack anymore you can't go on the computer anymore you know that's kind of the thing well this is why impeachment is so important donald trump abused his power mm-hmm. donald trump ignited and incited uh an insurrection got all these dummies to yeah. To, to charge Congress. Yeah. And so I think part of the price should be he should not be allowed mm-hmm. to go back on Twitter. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like you drive drunk yeah. when you're done. When you, oh, I'm sorry. Now you could just go out and go drive again. <laughs> I mean, you know, OK, I believe you. So I don't know. You know, do you mind if we stay on this regulation thing for a second longer? Go. Because this is where it gets really confusing. I started in radio in like 1970, I think I got my first job at WLS of all things, uh, because in those days, uh, the access to, because because there were there were few radio stations. This goes back, you know, go, again, this all goes back to the 30s, too. There weren't enough radio stations for all points of view to be heard. So the federal government said, there must be equal access, right? There must be equal opinions and blah, 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 blah. So if you if you put something on the air that's a that's a political statement of some kind, you have to give equal and op, equal and opposite opportunity to someone else. And um, sorry about that. Um, and when I started working at WLS, all of the public affairs programming was aired between midnight and 5 a.m. on Sunday night. You wouldn't hear one word of public affairs programming on the station any other time. And that's why it was because it was regulated that way. And it was my job to put all these different voices on the air all night long and then write a report on all the wonderful things that our radio station had done. Well, that all went out with, as we know, Reagan and Clinton and all that. And 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 now we have a completely free and open market where anybody can say anything that they want. But what we have now is we don't hear any of those voices anymore because it's kind of what you're talking about. It's like nobody wants the hassle. Nobody wants the legal issues to be to be dealt with. So what happened is that those voices, fortunately, uh, fortunately for all of us, that medium is slowly dying away land land based radio broadcasting but all these other incredible media have all spread up or sprung up in the last 20 years and they're doing that and i'm glad that they're out there doing it i think it's really cool because we, we if you have a, a political opinion to express in this country now you can express it and you can get a pretty good audience for it yeah so now, you, if you know, you want to start regulating that again. I saw regulation when the pendulum was all the way over there, and it was not good. Yeah. All right. I'll let you uh, get the last word on that uh, and uh, urge you to have your own podcast because you have a lot to say, Ken Davis. Uh, and if you don't have your own podcast, I'll just keep bringing you back to my podcast as long Look, as I, I hope have you one. will. Uh, uh, so I love uh, joining you, Ben. Uh, and uh, I followed the script. Ken Davis sent me an email and he instructed me, this is what we will talk about. I dutifully <laughs> wrote it down. And I'll we quote myself. 
Uh, oh, no, I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it's something like, hey, Ben, here's a couple of things you might want. Yeah. I, why should I stop making up quotes for my guests? <laughs> <laughs> it's worked so well for me. Um, all right, Ken, stay safe and sound, and uh, we won't let so Hi, much Dennis, time good to see you. go between your visits. All right, Ken? Too, Dennis, good to see you. All yeah. right. That's the great Ken Davis. Uh, Dennis, the great Dennis, Dr. D, any updates? No. <laughs> okay. I well, know. Uh, Remember, you can find us on social media at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com, and you can call us 708 658 4788. Eight. We would love to hear from you. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews and so much more at the Chicago Reader website, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Over 800 episodes for you to download. And yes, we are on the march to 1 million downloads, over 800,000 downloads. So help us out. Yes, help us out. I'm going to hit one million. When we hit one million, uh, one lucky listener will get a million dollars. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> Hopefully one just, lucky producer will get a million dollars. <laughs> Maybe I'll be the lucky listener who gets a million dollars. Anyway, I want to thank Ken Davis. Outstanding job. Uh, D, we really, uh, I was negligent in not bringing back. It's been a while, almost two months, I think, three months since Kenny was on the show. So uh, it's always great to have Ken Davis on. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible, is Ken Davis and Donald Trump will tell you. Uh, back home at Alton, they call him a white lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.